Thank you for joining us today at KFAI Radio, 90.3 FM Minneapolis and 106.7 FM St. Paul. Radio Without Boundaries. Streaming at kfai.org. That's kfai.org. Glad you're here. You are listening to Messages from the Drum. I am Beverly Bushyhead, your host and guide for the next hour. A little bit about me. I'm an enrolled member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. I grew up in Cherokee, North Carolina, on my tribe's original land. It's located halfway between Asheville, North Carolina, and Dollywood. Can you kind of picture where that is? A little bit of heaven, I can tell you. And now I live in a little bit of heaven in St. Paul, Minnesota. Messages from the Drum is an educational and public awareness program about the indigenous people of this continent. It is an effort to reclaim the narrative of indigenous people in their own words. Some information was missing or misrepresented from public education. This program intends to set the record straight for our listeners. Meaningful and authentic storytelling is a dialogue shared in front of others. Messages from the Drum is a platform built with intent and focus. It is intended to capture your attention and in your world and mind bring an entire group of people to life. I believe stories told directly are powerful. I hope you are inspired to see the people right in front of you. Indigenous wisdom is ancient. Tribes have their own languages, tradition, customs, ceremony, and stories. The original people shared their wisdom, passing it to the next generation through storytelling. This is called the oral tradition. We will use that tool on this show to share wisdom with you. You will hear stories from all over this continent, from the Arctic Circle to South America, and all the bits in between. A little bit about how the name Messages from the Drum was developed. One common element all indigenous people of the world share is the awareness of connection to each other, to the earth, to the skies, and to all life on the planet. We are taught to respect life and walk toward balance and harmony. Nature is our original teacher, and you will hear those elements in the stories. These stories, like all wisdom, is a way to understand our world. The drum is a sacred tool used to hear the voice and wisdom carried throughout history. The drum brings people together. The drum beat represents the life energy that circles it. Like our heartbeat is the life we express, and in that way, we too are sacred. The drum is the center of the circle, and as such is the center of the universe, the heartbeat that connects us all. Welcome to Messages from the Drum. Because this is the beginning, we are launching our show with information about the role of storytelling. Our first storyteller is Matika Lorraine Wilbur. She is a member of the Swinomish and Tlalip tribes of the state of Washington, where she was raised in a family of commercial fishermen. Before focusing on photography as a tool for social justice, Matika received her teaching certification and worked in primary education at the Tlalip Heritage High School for five years. There, she experienced firsthand the lack of educational resources to teach indigenous intelligence and was dismayed the curriculum being taught did not provide Native youths with positive imagery and understanding. That was the catalyst behind her launching Project 562. Project 562 is Wilbur's fourth major project to document contemporary indigenous peoples. 
she began traveling throughout the United States in November of 2012 with the goal of photographing members of U.S. tribes on their tribal lands. She has traveled 250,000 miles documenting indigenous people. During Matika's tenure in public education, she presented a TEDx talk. TED Talks, as many of you know, are free online open to the public venues to share good ideas. TEDx brings the spirit of TED's mission of ideas worth spreading to local communities around the globe. TEDx events are organized by curious individuals who seek to discover ideas and spark conversations in their own community. Martika Wilbur told those stories at such an event a few years ago. It fits the purpose and goal of messages from the drum. So well, I contacted Matika about sharing her stories with KFAI listeners. I hope you enjoy it. Because TEDx talks are visual as well as auditory, please forgive some references to visual input you will not have over the web radio broadcast. Matika does a good job at verbally explaining that the visual is hardly missed. Enjoy. experience stops. My dream is that our children are given images that are more useful, truthful, and beautiful. Respectfully, I ask that you take this image instead. Smiling, incredible Indian, Anishinaabe, Pima, Lummi. Beautiful, culture-bearing, activist, and the 1491s, grandma, grandpa, auntie, cousin, president, Talawa, Clinkett, Zuni, Pachanga, persevering, thriving, Bahajoni, peaches, Brandon, and royalty, musician, PhD, elder, and fashionista, loving, serving, Havasupai, Talela, Crow, entrepreneur, filmmaker, scholar, prayerful, Fisherman, attorney, fierce, veteran, linguist, husband, and wife. We, you and I, the five-fingered beings, have so much in common. We might look different on the outside, but on the inside, we feel the same. We want the same things. And together, I believe that we can change the way that Native Americans are viewed in massive media. We can make a conscious choice to reshape the way that we imagine Indian country. In my work, I seek and photograph positive indigenous role models from this century. And today, 
I'd like to share some of those stories with you. This is Gloria Grant. She's the Associate Superintendent from the Chinle Unified School District, which is in the Navajo Nation, the land of the Diné people. Its high school is the largest primarily Native American public high school in the United States. 97% of the students are Diné, and I loved visiting with Gloria. She reminds me of my auntie and my mom and my cousins all wrapped up into one lady. And one thing that I love about Navajos is the way in which they always introduce themselves. They say, she says, I'm from the Diné Nation. I am born for the Totochini people, the Bitterwater people, the Kia'anis, which is the Wind Clan. When you introduce yourself like this, it humbles you to recognize any of those people who have come before you. It's also recognizing those sacred elements that make us up of who we are, keeps us in line that we are humble people made up of these substances of the earth. That is who I am. For 15 years, Gloria worked on creating a relevant Navajo curriculum at the Chinle Unified School District. She candidly reflected upon the experience. I worked with nothing but medicine men, spiritual men, women, and herbalists. These were the people that we should stand in awe of. They know so much. My academic degree was nothing compared to their knowledge. They know the songs, the prayers, they know the ceremonies. They had wisdom. I have a degree, actually I have a couple of degrees, but there's a difference. You could have all the knowledge in the world, but it's wisdom that makes change. You need to believe in what you're doing. This is my good friend, Desi Small Rodriguez. Her Cheyenne name is Mukshiup, which means bear mint woman. And she's a member of the Northern Cheyenne tribe. And ooh, Desi's fierce, <laughs> really fierce. And she has a master's degree in, from Stanford in sociology, st social stratification and inequality. And she worked as a senior policy analyst in research and statistics at the Ma Ministry of Maui Development. And this April, she goes back to New Zealand to finish her PhD. And one of the questions that I ask all of my participants is if there are any interesting details about their tribes they would like to share. Maybe some details that aren't written down in the history books. She says, as a young person, it's hard to tell the history of the tribe. We're really taught as young people that we should listen more than we talk. They call us the Fighting Cheyenne. And they call us the Fighting Cheyenne because we fought for everything that we have here today. I've grown up knowing that we are here because 300 of, our, 300 of our people made it back from Oklahoma. They escaped in the middle of winter after being forced into Indian territory. They were dying of famine and disease. And so two of our chiefs, Dole Knife and Little Wolf, decided that they were going to make a run for freedom. And if they died along the way, at least they died trying to get home. It is this really amazing tale of survival of what a people would do to get back home. They were chased by the cavalry the entire time. That's a reality that our people still live with. It's not something that's written down in history books. It shapes your entire life, knowing every day that my ancestors died for us to be here. That, that really tells the strength of the Cheyenne people. Gail Small is Desi's beautiful mother. She's an attorney and she worked for the P 
people for many, many years. And when I talked with Gail, she told me something that really stuck out to me. She told me that the Cheyenne people will always bring their people home. But after they pass away, even if they've been living off the reservation for many years, maybe they're living here in New York City, they will pay to bring them home for a Cheyenne funeral because that is where they belong, at home with the land. And you know, when I asked Gail what it means to be Indian enough, she said that measurements of blood quantum do not define who we are. It is through our connection to the land, connection to the spirit, and connection to our people that we become who we are, and that is who we will always be. This is John Trudell. John is Santi Sue. And he's an artist and longtime American Indian movement activist. He was the spokesperson for the Indian takeover of Alcatraz from 1969 to 1971. And he later served as the chairman of AIM. And I was super excited to get to meet John because, you know, you, you hear about these rebel activists and I was like a little kid knocking on his door. I was really excited. And I, I didn't even know how to approach him properly, but I asked him, you know, what he learned from the civil rights movement from his time, from his activism, and he said, I would have encouraged, I wouldn't have encouraged Native pride so much. I would have encouraged the gratefulness and humility more. Something like Native and grateful or Native and thankful. Pride is not our word. We're not Indians. We're not, we're the human beings. And all the tribes that you go to, none of them will identify as Indian. They will identify as the name of their tribe, and that name usually means the human beings. And our own language and identity as human beings, the basis of the whole thing is humility. Raymond Matz is one of my heroes. I didn't know it until I met him. I didn't realize that the sacrifices that he'd made had already impacted my life. You see, he was arrested 19 times while fishing on the Klamath River. He was the first Native American to take his, his fishing rights case all the way to the Supreme Court. And he told me this story about how their set net was out and they could tell that it was full of fish. When a net's full of fish, it will bob. And the feds were there with their big guns, as were uh, the reporters with their cameras. And he knew that if he went out and checked his net, he'd be arrested again. So they were standing on the shore, and there was all this commotion, and he didn't know what to do. And, and his grandma goes, oh, I'll do it. And so she, she paddled out in her little two-man canoe, singing an, singing an honor song, and picked the net. And the reporters came and took pictures, and the cops came with their guns. And that went on the cover of a magazine. And then they won their court case. They won half of the fish and game and wildlife at the Yurok tribe. And then that set the precedence for the Judge Bolt decision. And the Judge Bolt decision gives us half of the fish and game and wildlife in Washington, where I'm from. And my parents are commercial fishermen, as is my brother and my cousins and most of the people from my village. So I was really honored to get to have the opportunity to thank him personally.
This is one of my favorite Cherokees of all time. Her name is Adrienne Keene, and she's a fierce educator, doctoral student in culture, communities, and education at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. And she's the author of Native Appropriations, which is a blog that's dedicated to talking about Native representation. And I'm going to read you one of my favorite quotes from her blog post entitled, Why Tonto Matters. We are taught every day explicitly in classrooms and implicitly through messages from the media that our cultures are something of the past, something that exists in negative contrast to Western values, and something that can be commodified and enjoyed by anyone with $20 to buy a cheap plastic headdress. These stereotypical images like Johnny Depp's Tonto feed into the ongoing cycle, and until we demand more, our contemporary existence and therefore the real problems in Indian country simply don't exist in the minds of the dominant culture. How can we expect mainstream support for sovereignty, self-determination, nation building, tribally controlled education, healthcare, and jobs when 90% of Americans only view people, my people, as one-dimensional stereotypes? situated in the historic past, or even worse, situated in their imaginations. I argue that we can. And that, to me, is why Tonto matters. This is Stephen Small Salmon. He works at the Incusum Salish Immersion School in Ponderay in northeastern Montana. He began working at the Immersion School 10 years ago because in his lifetime he saw the fluency fall from 100% to 10%. Their goal is to bring the language back to the Salish Kootenai people. He says, I did the language all my life. I went to boarding school, but my mom, dad, and grandparents all talked Indian to me when I came home. So I was honored for that. I have a drummer's group. I dance to honor the elders that came before me. I enjoy working with kids, especially the little ones. They're really happy all the time. I never did think we would lose our language. Today, I can truly say that we almost did. And so today, we do our best to save it. Tatanka means is Oglala Lakota, Omaha, and Navajo from Chinle, Arizona. He is the son of the late Russell Means. I met Tatanka last year when I was in Albuquerque. And my good friend Valerie said, you have to meet Tatanka. He's a great leader. And I was, and I have to be candid with you, I was like, you know, I just, didn't think that a 28-year-old actor was a leader. <laughs> and you know what? I was wrong. I really was. There's, there's just something about certain people. I don't know if it's the legacy from their family or just who they are inside, but Tatanka just transmits inspiration. And he doesn't really identify as an activist. He... Um, he considers himself an actor, a stand-up comedian, and a motivational speaker. And he says, if you ever get caught in a room full of Indians and you really aren't sure if you've said the right thing, maybe you asked, you know, should I call you an Indian? Should I call you a Native American? Maybe you asked if, you know, you were kissing your cousin. I heard about that on the reservation. You can always just go, eh? <laughs> That's an Indian joke for you. <laughs> you can use that on the res. <laughs> the 
This is Winsler Nosey. He is the former chairman of the San Carlos Apache tribe and a great spiritual leader for his people. Two weeks ago, I was visiting him in San Carlos Apache in Arizona. He took me to the prisoner of war camp that held the Apache people for many years. And uh, that is where I took this photo. And when I went there, I was, you know, I, I was overwhelmed by the same feeling that I got when I was in Auschwitz. And uh, Mr. Nosey wanted to have his picture taken here in remembrance of the hollow ground, formerly known as, as Hell's Hole 40. And we had a long conversation about the people, about the work he had done, the struggles he has encountered to protect sacred sites, traditional lifeways, and serving his people. And when I asked him about how we recover from these historical traumas, he said, we have to remember that in the very beginning, there were four blessed gifts to the world. And those are the four colors of people. If we go back to the ancient ways, the people who are white, black, and yellow, they are our relatives. That's why in Apache, there is really no word for other races except Chiki. Chiki, meaning that they are a relative of us. So you have to go back to the very beginning. And that beginning is when we knew about harmony. We knew that all that God created on the earth has a spirit. And when we all knew that, and we were all in sequence together, we treated each other like brothers and sisters. I've been traveling, shooting, and collecting stories for over a year now. And uh, the experience has changed me. I, I'm really not the same as I was before. And the road has been hard on me. I've slept on people's sofas and I've grown tired and I've had to push through my homesickness and my relationship loss, fear, <laughs> lack of comfort, <laughs> no juicer. <laughs> And I just came from Louisiana where I photographed the Choctaw, Tunica Biloxi, and Cushada in the bayou, like a couple of, I came, you know, like yesterday, by the way of 19 tribes in the desert in Arizona. And tomorrow we're headed to upstate New York to photograph some tribes around here. So, you know, my feet are on the ground. I'm, the war pony is moving. And I've taken in the stories of those who trusted me with their truth. I felt the struggle and I've been lifted up by our human desire to endure. And so it is with these stories and images that I'd like to share some medicine with you. A new system of knowing, a new way of thinking, a new way of loving and appreciating and valuing. You know, and I just felt like this was something I should do. You know, it's, it's in my traditional way as a Swinomish and Tulalip woman to offer closing prayers when amongst large groups of people. So I hope that you'll take, uh, that you'll indulge me as I take a moment to do this. To the creator, grandmothers and grandfathers and the people of this place and those that came before me and walked here, uh, we'd like to ask for your special blessing today. I'd like to say a prayer for healing for our minds and hearts 
and for all of you here today. I'd like to say a prayer for the two-legged, the four-legged, the wing beams, the sea creatures, for the water, like to ask you to open up our minds and hearts to take away our fear take away our struggle and give us the courage to find a new way to respect one another a new way to honor one another so for all of you and for all of my relations I offer this humble prayer and I apologize for anything that I that I didn't say or should have said. I'm young and I'm still yearning, learning and I hope that you'll um, take pity on me for, for that. So with that, I say tikwitsi. I raise my hands to you. Thank you all for being here. Have a good day. What I love about the talk from Martika Wilbur is the genuine humbleness she demonstrates and approaches her work with. She is using her love for her culture to benefit us all. Thank you, Martika. You are a gift to the world. For those of you listening, this is Messages from the Drum. I'm Beverly Bushyhead, and today's topic is the, the role of storytelling. It is the intent and purpose of Messages from the Drum to ensure there is a platform that activates and elevates indigenous voices. Empowering, forward-facing, and positive stories are largely missing from the narrative presented to mainstream society. This program will do everything it can to change that direction and to assist in reclaiming the narrative as our own. The next story is candid, and that honesty can be hard to face. Underlying this amazing story is the strength of culture to heal and the beauty and resilience of a contemporary people facing modern challenges. This is a story of hope and healing. Alyssa Sierra Concha is from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. She attended the Black Hills State University and worked toward a Bachelor of Science in English. Alyssa has already been hired to be a kindergarten teacher on her reservation, where she'll be teaching Lakota and is really excited about that. This summer, she participated in a Lakota language program to learn more about the language and be better prepared to teach kindergarten. Alyssa walks us through the most commonly discussed statistics that often are used to define Native American communities and describes her personal experiences that bring the statistics to life. Through her open and honest storytelling, Alyssa shares a message for Native youth and the world that is full of hope and promise for future generations. She brought the TEDx audience to its feet with a standing ovation. Alyssa Sierra Concha is Lakota, Ojibwe, and Taos Pueblo. She is currently in her fourth year at the Black Hills State University majoring in education. Here is her story in her own words. Reservation here in South Dakota. I am Lakota, Ojibwe, and Taos Pueblo. I am here to give you a face to the news articles and stereotypes you may have read or heard about Native Americans. In today's society, being a young Indigenous woman 
is definitely a unique journey, and I am here to tell you my story. The following are some of the negative statistics that dominate the mainstream press coverage of my people. Native Americans make up about 2% of the nation's population. We are a true minority. The Indian Health Services reports concluded in 2009 that 20% of Native American adults were in dire need of drug and or alcohol treatment. According to the Aspen Institute, Native youth commit suicide 2.5 times higher than the national average. The Oglala Lakota College reports that over 60% of students on the Pine Ridge Reservation won't, will drop out of high school and one in every 100 will graduate from a four-year college. The Department of Justice reports that one in three Native American women will be raped. From the moment I entered school in kindergarten, the weight of the negative expectations loomed over my head, even though I didn't know it at the time. In middle school, I attended an elite private school, and that's when it hit me. The undeniable differences between me and the entire student body. I was one of two natives in the entire school, which ran from 6th through 12th grade. I felt like I wasn't good enough to be at a school like that. I was surrounded by kids who had a lot of things handed to them. I saw their gorgeous houses, and for the first time in my life, I realized that I wasn't upper class. For the first time, I truly realized that I was a minority in a sea of lighter skin tones, most of whom had privileges I never expected and had expectations laced on them that I never imagined. I was different. I came from a different culture and background. But was I less? I certainly felt like less. Although my peers never explicitly acknowledged it, there was a clear divide between me and them. I was less than. I couldn't identify with my peers because their childhoods were vastly different from mine. I have seen drugs and alcohol consume my relatives, and as a child, I was powerless to stop it. They suffered from a disease that I grew to fear to this very day. They coped with their past demons through drowning themselves, drink after drink. It transformed those I loved most into those into strangers I hardly knew. And it scared me. As a young child, I found myself wondering which version I would see that night. The one I knew and trusted, or the one I had no idea how to talk to. I struggled with my identity and why I couldn't relate to anyone around me. I had completely lost sense of who I was and I felt disconnected. So my mom and I then decided it was time for us to move to the reservation. It was time for us to go home. And we, for high school, I moved to the reservation and I finally belonged. I was around kids who actually understood me. We all struggled in one way or another, some more than others. I vividly remember the afternoon standing in my school library when I heard the news of a friend committing suicide that day. We had our first three classes together and I considered texting her when I didn't see her, but I didn't. Everyone's voices dulled to a silence. 
I couldn't hear anything but my own thoughts. Why didn't she talk to me? How could I not have noticed? What were even the last words she said to me? I look back on that day and I still wonder if anything would have been different if I had reached out. Almost seven years later and the guilt still overwhelms me. I have felt the guilt of losing a friend to suicide, but for most of my life I have struggled with an entirely different level of guilt. It has taken me years to finally accept that what I had experienced really wasn't my fault. Sexual violence is a painful subject and often ignored because it's an uncomfortable topic to address. However, it's an unfortunate reality many women are forced to struggle with. One in three Native women will be sexually assaulted. And that's just the reported assaults. There are so many more that will never go reported. I am the one of three. I was only six years old when someone I trusted began violating my body. I lost my innocence that day, that moment it began. I, it silenced me for months. I withdrew into myself and to this day, I still have trouble finding the courage to genuinely be myself. At 15, I swallowed a bottle of painkillers prescribed to me with no intention of waking up again. I had cuts carved into my arms when I was admitted to the hospital. Many don't understand the amount of power depression has over the mind. It had taken my soul by force and completely tore me apart. I looked into my future and I saw none. I had fallen so deep into darkness that I saw there was no way out except escaping. I almost became one of the negative statistics that others use to define my community. Recovering, I was forced to piece myself back together at 15, and I found my way through prayer and my culture. I began going to traditional ceremonies more and talking to Tunkashila, which is the Lakota language for the Creator. I owe my healing to my culture to my people. I found my strength through the love of my family and the power of my spirituality. I was faced with depression and suicide all while in high school, which is a hard time for many. The low graduation rate amongst Native Americans is apparent in all our minds while going through school. I went to high school knowing of the expectation that I would drop out but I beat that statistic and graduated from high school with a Fulbright scholarship to college. I started college knowing of the expectation that I wouldn't make it through, but I am now in my third year, almost done with my bachelor's degree. Although the work is rigorous, 
have been exposed to many different backgrounds and ideas. I have met friends and professors who continue to encourage me and push me, even on my bad days. This past school year, I have had some especially awful days. I was raped by a complete stranger. wounded my already damaged heart once again. There are days when I feel as though I have made all this progress to be brought back to six years old again when a piece of my being was ripped away from me. But then there are some mornings when I wake up and I feel happy and I feel strong and I have hope. I am 20 years old and I am still struggling to be completely whole again, but I find strength in knowing that I always have my reservation, my Lakota way to turn to on the days I do struggle. I know that I am never alone and I always have someone to call. I go back to the reservation and I am surrounded with love and laughter. We find medicine through laughter and so I can always count on feeling cheered up when I go home. The happiness that we find through going home is often never spoken about, yet the daunting statistics facing Native American communities are common knowledge. It's easy to read numbers on a screen or a piece of paper, but more often than not, you won't hear about or even think of the real stories or people behind these numbers. Pictures have been posted in magazines and they depress me every time I look at them. Where are the pictures of the beautiful Black Hills and Badlands in every direction? Where are the photos of us walking out of a sweat lodge, purified and peaceful? You haven't heard all our voices singing in perfect harmony as we pray to our ancestors for our families and friends. The depth and beauty of our culture is mesmerizing, and I am so blessed to live this way of life. This generation, my generation, has felt the negative statistics and prejudices weighing heavily on our shoulders throughout our entire lives. Certainly, I have seen friends suffer through depression, the loss of friends, addictions, and worse. I have held my sister as she cried when she lost her friend to suicide, just as I did a few years before her. I have cried for my family members who can never break free of their addictions. But I have also hugged my classmates when we graduated from high school, so excited for our bright futures ahead of us. The path I walked has humbled me, and I look back on what I have experienced, and I am grateful. I have infinite support from my close family who continue to build me back up when I don't have the strength to do so myself. And my journey doesn't end here. When I graduate with a degree in secondary education, I will go back home to the reservation to teach. And I plan on incorporating our language and culture into my classroom to emphasize the importance of how we're a unique and beautiful people. One by one, we are breaking through the low bar of expectations the media and America's founders have set for us. We are facing the problems of our people head on. 
more and more Native Americans are going to college and using their higher education to help their communities. More Native Americans are embracing our culture and fighting against cultural appropriation and racism. If you are a Native youth, when you hear the negative statistics, do not let them define you. You can rise above them. And if you are writing these statistics, please include in the dialogue the stories of people like me and so many others in my generation who are changing these statistics. Yes, we may have lived through some or even all the statistics that you have read about, but we are fighters. We are indigenous. We are proud of our heritage. We are more than a statistic. Thank you. Alyssa, please know, many of us in the community recognize your story. We can relate and understand your struggle, and we are cheering you on. I believe our ancestors are whispering in our ears words of strength, resilience, and healing. And when we heal, that healing goes beyond just us and heals those who came before us and paves the way for those in our future. The seven generations is real. One of the reasons Messages from the Drum is being launched is in response to the realization that false narratives are harmful to an entire people. You may be asking how. How could stereotypes and misinformation harm a group? According to the Women's Media Center, in July of 2018, a team of Native researchers and thought leaders organized under the project Reclaiming Native Truth and released a groundbreaking report that reveals for the first time how the American public views Native Americans. Over the course of two years, the First Nations Development Institute and Echo Hawk Consulting conducted extensive research to uncover the dominant stories and narratives about indigenous people in the United States and how these views affect public opinion and public policy. The research team conducted 28 focus groups in 11 states. They surveyed 13,306 people online and analyzed 4.9 million social media posts. They interviewed members of Congress and judges, as well as philanthropy, business, and other industry leaders. The study found the largest barrier for Native rights was the invisibility and erasure of Native Americans in all aspects of modern U.S. society. Representation of contemporary Native Americans was found to be almost completely absent from K-12 education, pop culture, news media, and politics. Two-thirds of respondents said they didn't know a single Native person. Only 13% of state history curriculum standards about Native Americans cover events after the year 1900. For the average U.S. citizen, the main exposure to contemporary Native Americans is through media and pop culture, where they are almost completely absent. Unfortunately, where narratives about Native Americans do exist, they're primarily deficit-based and guided by misperceptions, assumptions, and stereotypes. The complete lack of representation not only erases us from the American consciousness, it inadvertently creates bias, explained Echo Hawk. People were less likely to support certain rights and social justice issues for Native people when they had zero perception and understanding of who we are.
Invisibility and erasure is the modern form of racism against Native people. The ignorance is shared by members of Congress as well and the federal court system who often have direct impact on the rights of tribes and their citizens. Congressional members interviewed by the research team admitted knowing little to nothing about Native issues. That's pretty surprising, isn't it? When exposed to narratives about Native people that included factual information about present-day Native life, more accurate history, positive examples of resilience and information about systemic oppression, respondents from all demographics showed more support for pro-Native policy and social justice issues. Thank you to KFAI for recognizing and promoting messages from the drum that will work to reclaim the indigenous narrative. One person working to challenge stereotypes is Nancy Marie Mithlow. Nancy Marie Mithlow is a Chiricahua Apache woman who is an assistant professor of art history and American Indian studies at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, where she teaches courses on Native American film, fine arts, visual representations, and museum theory. Mithlow is a prolific scholar and curator, exploring the manner in which film, photography, and media, as well as arts and material culture, are used to both produce and define ways of understanding. In her book, Our Indian Princess, Subverting the Stereotype, by School for American Research in 2009, Mithlow explores how stereotypes can be undermined by being appropriated. For her work, she has received much recognition, including recent research fellowships from her university and the Woodrow Wilson National Fellowship Foundation. Currently, Mithlow is the director of the Poo Law Photography Project at the University of Madison in Wisconsin and the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma. Concerned with the work and legacy of 20th century Kiowa photographer Horace Poolaw, Mithlow earned her PhD in anthropology from Stanford University, writing on Native American identity and arts commerce in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Her most recent article, Can You Hear Me? Silence as an Indigenous Representational Strategy in Film is included in the Indigenous Voice in Film from the University of Nebraska Press. She talks in this selection about the role of media and public perception of American Indians. I want us to think together about images. Images of American Indians. You know, the feathers, the braids, the beads, the buckskin. Indian, warrior, Indian, chief. Fast as an Indian, strong as an Indian, brave as an Indian. Indian, princess. Indian, squaw. Indian, giver. All of these images and meanings form like wallpaper on the insides of our minds. They're ever-present and yet invisible. These are our Americana Indians, the imaginative, romantic, fictional portrayals of the real Native nations of our country. Now, why do I care about this issue? I care because I'm American Indian. My tribe, the Chiricahua Apaches, recognize all of southern Arizona and New Mexico as our homelands. We are known by our tribal leaders, Geronimo, Cochise, Naichi, Lozen, you know, the angry ones, <laughs> the fighting ones. More wallpaper, more imaginative than real. 
Now you may be thinking, but she doesn't look Indian. Where are her braids and her buckskin? See, there's the wallpaper, the ever-present expectation of Indianness from the Western movies and the storybooks. These fictions create confusion when they meet reality. These fictions can also cause harm when they replace reality. Today, there are 4.1 million American Indians in this country, and many of them, like me, are urban. In fact, New York City has 100,000 American Indian people, while here in Albuquerque, there are 33,000 American Indians. Now, we don't all look or act or behave or believe in the same things. In fact, there's not just one way to look or act or to be Indian. We are as diverse as the 562 sovereign nations. Now, I'm a college professor, and I've observed that youth culture feels very comfortable appropriating American Indian images and dress. At Halloween, during games with sports mascots, at hipster concerts. Now, maybe this is just innocent. They're just playing. But if so, why is it that we've stopped dressing as Aunt Jemima and the Frito Bandito, but we continue to dress as American Indian people? And what is it about the sexy Indian squaw that seems ever present in the American imagination? Now, I decided to do some serious research on the topic, so I did an internet search. <laughs> and you may want to try this at break, but I typed in the words Hispanic girl. And this is what I got. Beautiful young girls and women, they're going to school, they've got careers, they've got dreams. Then I typed African American girl. And I got much the same. Young girls and women look at the camera lens with complete self-confidence. Then I typed in American Indian girl. And this is what I got. The sexy Indian squaw, the flowing hair, the nudity. This is our situation. American Indian women are the most victimized group in the country. American Indian women have the highest rates of sexual and physical abuse. In fact, one in three Native women will be raped during her lifetime. For many, the question is not if, but when the abuse will occur. Now, if we go back to our slide of American Indian girls, that ratio for demeaning images is exactly the same. It's one in three. Now, it's very difficult to draw a direct cause and effect between media images and harm to Native communities, but when we look at these outfits and the titles like Tribal Treat and Sexy Tribal Trouble, it becomes clear that the sexualization of Native American women is a given. The sales line, All This Fringe Was Made For Shaking, takes on new meaning in light of sexual abuse. 
While the consumer may be thinking exoticism and allure, I am thinking bruises, blood, and trauma. Images may seem harmless, but they must be interpreted in light of social and historical context. The United States government has long waged a war on Native women's bodies, including rape in military action, boarding school abuse, forced sterilization. These demeaning images and attitudes are learned. The wild Indian has resonance across time. We may think that these behaviors and actions are no longer present, but they are. Fall 2012 saw the designer Paul Frank, the band No Doubt, and Victoria's Secrets all launch ad campaigns using the feathered headdress, an item that is sacred to Native peoples. Native advocates and their allies were swift in their protest, and all three companies later withdrew their ads with an apology. But the damage was largely done. Internet hate and intolerance replaced what could have been a considered conversation about Native peoples and their culture and history. We can do better. Demeaning images and attitudes are learned. Parents, take note. If Indian-themed birthday parties are okay for your kids, when they grow up, they're going to go to parties and dress as Indians. If your school sponsors events where they ask students to dress in paper feathers, paper bag feathers, then these kids are going to go to college and they're going to dress in paper bag feathers. If it's okay to play cowboys and Indians when they're young, when they grow up as adults, they're going to play cowboys and Indians. Let me be clear. This is offensive to the dignity of Native peoples, but it is also shameful for those who lack the common sense to think twice. Ladies, don't go here. This is not an attractive look. Friends, don't let friends look stupid dressing as Indians. The United Negro College Fund had a very successful ad campaign, and it was called, A Mind is a Terrible Thing to Waste. The American Indian College Fund's ad campaign is Think Indian. What I want you to do is more than think Indian. I want you to consider the Native perspective. Then I want you to think about your own assumed wisdoms, and I want you to have a conversation. Parents, think about your kids' future. Teach them to respect difference. Young people, if you have a friend who comes to a party in a headdress, ask them, what are you thinking? Consumers, choose not to buy derogatory products. Buy Native products from Native people. What I'm asking for is simple. Think twice. Speak out. Educate yourselves. Have a conversation. And when you next meet this Native woman at your dinner table, think Indian.
and consider this Native journalist who has more to offer than just a stick of butter. Thank you. There are lots of levels of storytelling for any group. For example, children's stories and young adult stories teach lessons and lay the foundation of a shared custom and tradition. It is one way we bond and how we shape our future leaders. Another level of storytelling is across cultures to understand history and current experience through the eyes of those living it. While many have heard varying levels of stories and wisdom through the years, the rigor and perspective of its application to inform systems and policies has long been overlooked. On Messages from the Drum, we will share stories at all levels and welcome your ideas and suggestions. There are several ways to let us know at KFAI Messages from the Drum what you like and want to hear more of. Email is messagesfromthedrum at gmail.com. KFAI station phone number is 612-341-3144. Or you can like our Messages from the Drum Facebook page and comment or message from there. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for tuning in and streaming. You're listening to Fresh Air Radio, KFAI 90.3 FM Minneapolis and 106.7 FM St. Paul. Radio Without Boundaries. Streaming, as you know, at kfai.org. We're winding down our show, Messages from the Drum. I'm Beverly Bushyhead, and today's topic has been the role of storytelling. Fact for the day. There are 576 federally recognized tribes in 35 states. In Minnesota, the largest native group is the Ojibwe, with an estimated population of 33,695. The total native population in the state is 56,561. In future shows, we'll discuss populations in Canada and across other countries in this hemisphere. One interesting bit to think about and share in the future may be about indigenous groups across borders. That's it for Messages from the Drum. At KFAI Radio, I'm Beverly Bushyhead, and I've enjoyed spending this hour with you. I'll be here next month on the 15th, same time, same place. Thanks for listening. To give proper credit and attribution, the music that you hear today at the beginning and end of the show is from an album by Redbone. Redbone is a Native American rock band. The album is titled Message from a Drum. Fitting, isn't it? The album was published in 1971 under the Legacy Recordings label.